Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So I am writing a lot of Swift, finally. <gasps> I know. It, it only took, what, six years, five years? <laughs> Many years? I <laughs> to, don't know. Pro- probably, like, you know, early on, it was fine to, to wait. I think it's probably been at least two years too late that I've jumped in at this sure. point. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was a window when it was like, you know, I think it's appropriate to be cautious about this new technology, like especially in those early years where code compa- you know, code compatibility was not something that was required. I mean, the ABI wasn't even stable for a while. Right. Um, but I feel like we're, we're well past that at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I very much am happy I wasn't a Swift beta tester, basically, um, because that, that requires you to be a certain level of enthusiast and language nerd that I'm not. And with a certain level of patience that I don't have. And, and uh, so I've waited until it is very, very stable and not changing very much anymore. And that's when I jumped in. And I feel good about that. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I did that is because I, had, I decided this past um, few weeks, the HomePod Mini was announced and with it a whole bunch of updates to, to like what HomePods can do. The HomePod Mini is a very attractive price, and while nobody has them yet, I have a feeling it's probably going to succeed as a general device, and they're probably going to sell a good number of them. And so I was curious to to really make sure that Overcast can be good on on the HomePod. And I already did AirPlay 2 um, last year, and and it was it was a massive job, and in retrospect, possibly not worth it. But you know, it it was a big deal, and I and I eventually got there, and and it was fine. But I didn't have good Siri intent support, or just I don't know what to call this. Is it intense? It used to be at one time called shortcuts, then Siri shortcuts, then intense, and now just Siri integration. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of these. It sort of makes me think of like NS user activity, right? Where it's 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 one of these things where it's it, it's you there's. Tech, there's technological aspects to it that are different. Like you use intents to configure your widgets, which has nothing to do with Siri at all. But uh, like I think that the, the thing you're talking about is the being able to say, you know, excuse excuse me, lady in the dome. I don't know. Um, in in the in, in the snowball. Excuse me, snowball. <laughs> would you play the latest episode of ATP um, in Overcast? That's what you're after, right? Is yeah. That the ability much. to ask the snowball what. Um, um, to, to play something and like I, yeah it's like i think that's siri shortcuts i think yeah but I'm or sure. something or at least it at least uses intense and it uses like the play media intent and everything so anyway overcast has supported intense since they came out for i believe it was ios 12 uh it was either 11 or 12 i forget one of those and when i wrote that first version of it this is when shortcuts launched and, and with the api and everything it was pretty rough to work with. It was a very clunky workflow. You had to you had this giant like you know weird p list GUI configurator and overcast to configure your intents, um, and then you, the, what you had to do to get parameters and stuff was was always a big pile of hacks because it didn't actually support native parameterization. Uh, and what you could do as a media app for like play or pause, you had to do so much stuff like kind of manually and hacky, and it was buggy and it didn't work well. And the API was kind of miserable to work with. On top of that, I was working with it from Objective-C, which you can do, but it would frequently cause problems in Xcode uh, because all those intents from that weird plist thing get automatically generated into classes that get 
magically imported into your project, and that doesn't work a lot of times with Objective-C. It'll break the build in weird ways that you'll have to like clean the build folder and hope it builds the second time, I mean, all those like weird bugs that we hit. And so this was a big pile of hacks. And then when iOS 13 came out last year, they added with the 13 SDK a whole bunch of improvements to this. They added media intents that could actually take parameters. You could actually specify what your library of content was to the Siri API. So like you could say, here's the list of titles of playlists in my app. Here's the list of titles of podcasts. My app, by the way, is a podcast app instead of a, instead of a music app. And you can, you can specify all this stuff. I had this old iOS 12 system that I hated that was a big pain in the butt to build. And you were still doing all this stuff through the the intense extension. And so in order to make this work, you had to have this data shuffling between the extension and the main app, as you do with any extension. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's one thing when it's simple things like tell the app this command. It's a whole other thing when you have to like expose your entire library of content through it and have it navigate and perform searches and everything. It just becomes very complicated. And so I kind of punted on that. And, and I, I, I had seen that, not a lot of people were using the intents I had built for iOS, whatever, 11 or 12. And so I thought last year when 13 came out, this isn't worth adopting yet. I'll, I'll put this in the back burner. I have more important things to do that more people are using right now. Um, so I kind of I kind of put it on hold. And so now iOS 14 comes out. The 14 SDK introduces a major new improvement to this, which is that you can now get rid of the extension and perform whatever intents you want right in your app. It'll just background launch your app. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's That's a huge improvement because that needs way less code. But in order to do this, you have to adopt the new scene, like new in quotes, scene sure. APIs. <laughs> it, new, new last year. Yeah. Was it even that recent? Or <laughs> I think, I think I it was new last year. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Anyway, so you have to adopt the scene APIs. Instead of the, you know, so so many, so many much of your app delegate stuff moves into the new scene delegate. By the way, there can be multiple scene delegates. You better account for that and, and things like that. And so I took this opportunity with my six-year-old app. So you can imagine the app delegate of a six-year-old app. <laughs> it's, it's, it's large, is, is, is my guess. So. Yes. And especially because it's Objective-C, so it's all one file, too. Like it, it's not well, actually, no. I, I had actually split it up. I had, like, two category files that extended it for, like, I had one for notifications and one for intent handling. So, like, I had split off some functionality, but not most. <laughs> most of it was one big file. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing motivating this was I, I decided over the summer, you know what? This this whole widget thing, I don't know if it's going to be a big deal. I don't think a lot of people are going to use widgets. No, no one's going to use widgets. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a passing fad. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, like like iMessage apps. Right? I thought like yep. Apple launches all sorts of TVOS. Like Apple launches all sorts of stuff that we think might be a big deal, and then it comes out and no one uses it. And we're like, okay, well, I guess you know. Oh well, if if we if we skipped it, great. And if we didn't skip it, well, there goes a bunch of a, a wasted effort, right? So I decided. Let me hold off on widgets. I, I was using them myself during the beta period. I was trying them out, um, and I wasn't finding them incredibly useful because they were so big. I didn't like, I didn't like have space for them on, on my home screens and stuff. So I thought, you know what, this will probably pass. And well, you more than anybody knows <laughs> that didn't really happen. Uh, and it turns out they're a big deal. And I am having competitive pressure um, from my my users and you know, like. I'm I'm actually getting one star reviews uh, like meaningfully now that I, because I don't have a widget yet. That's harsh. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I decided like okay I should probably actually do this like 
enough of my customers are wanting this. I need to do this. Well, widgets, as you said, also use the intent API <laughs> and also, you know, our you know, modern extensions that, that need, you know, some of this stuff. I, I, need to, I need to learn Swift UI. I need to learn more Swift and everything. So I thought this is a great time to rewrite my app delegate to use the new scene API so I can get the Siri support with the background app stuff so I can also use all the new stuff with the HomePod integration so I can also use better Siri integration and by the way this would also make widgets easier and by the way if I separate all these things I can also make my watch app better for boring reasons that won't fit in a 30 minute podcast so and my watch app is basically on fire right now like it's it's a terrible mess like the the uh the syncing of episodes for offline playback on the watch is completely broken for a lot of people not everybody but for a lot of people and and i have to fix that Uh, and so there's all sorts of things that have piled up so i've decided to tackle one of the stupidest things you can do as a programmer a big rewrite yeah but i focused it so it wasn't totally killing my business i focused it only on the app delegate the now new scene delegate moving a whole bunch of the data and sync engine stuff into a new thing called the session that is cross-compiling with watchOS so I can have the exact same data and sync layer between watchOS and iOS and whatever else OS comes comes later. Um, So, you know, and and it's so much work just pulling out, like, you know, calls from the model layer that went to the app delegate for some reason, or you know, like all this like weird little spaghetti that you do, that you tell yourself you're never going to do, but in practice you end up doing. Oh sure, I mean that's and and and, and don't, 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 you sound like you're being down on yourself. Like that's it's the it is often just that's the the path of least resistance, the obvious thing, and like you could go if you go too crazy like separating things out from the start you end up like building all this infrastructure that you may not ever actually need that like you build the thing so that it's generic and can be used anywhere but it's actually only used in one place and so don't don't be too hard on yourself in terms of like doing that but yes the the process of unraveling that when it does come time is certainly not straightforward exactly and i also decided while i'm rewriting my six-year-old app delegate and breaking up all this code i should do the new one in swift and so I've been finally, for the first time ever, plowing ahead with Swift at full speed. So not not just using it piecemeal here and there, but like all the new code I'm writing is Swift is Swift now, and and that's something I've never been able to say. Because you you previously used it in your today view. Am I remembering this right? There was some some part of your app that you used it before but yeah like i used it in a couple of extensions here and there a couple of the classes in the main app were swift before but not many because it's a giant objective c app and it, it it just made pragmatic sense most of the time when i was working with other objective c code to just write new stuff in objective c when it came up but now i decided i'm going to do this from the ground up and, and you know i'm not going to rewrite stuff for no reason if it works and and if there's no like motivating you know sdk or competitive reason to update it but now I'm saying everything I'm doing that's new, that's that's updated for for good reasons or that is new code, that's all Swift now. And that's something that's brand new for me. And so I took this entire, the last two weeks since we last talked, I've been doing tons of work just refactoring and restructuring and rewriting a lot of that low-level code in the app. And I finally, I have it now. It's running on my phone. It seems to be fine. I'm not brave enough to put it in beta yet. I, w- I want to do more testing, <laughs> but, sure. but it seems okay. Uh, 
and it's just in so much of the app has been touched by this like just but in in ways that a user would never know like just sure. never would never see all this is to say i have reached a point now where i have the app and scene delegate all rewritten it's all swift i have the siri intent support whatever it's called i have the, the all that stuff going great so you can you can say like hey thing play you know play and you can you can name any podcast whether you subscribe to it or not and you can say play that in overcast and it will play it no matter what Um, that's great if you don't have it it'll add it it'll it'll perform a web search if it has to like it all that stuff is all done Uh, you can you can ask ask your playlist by name of course so i can say hey thing play my lunch playlist and that was that was quite something um that's great so so like i'm making great progress there and at the same time, I have my entire session layer now running on the watch for the first time. Not on the real watch, in the simulator only so far, but I have like, you know, just, I was able to run it and I, I like to the point where like you run the app, it, I could finally get it to compile, which is most of the work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so now I have the data layer running on the watch. Now it doesn't actually do anything in the UI yet because the UI and the data layer are not talking to each other yet. So here, this is where I bring the question of the episode to you. Sure. But first, we are sponsored this week, see the transition there, by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Now, if you have a website or a web service or anything that runs on the web, and you have something important, like a shopping cart, if you're a store site, uh, registration forms, if you're a service, contact pages, um, or if you just have a web API that you need to monitor, if you answered yes to any of that, you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions or their web service backend to fail. Because that means not only a bad experience for users, but it also could mean lost business for you. So you can set up monitoring with Pingdom. And this can be very simple monitoring from just check if this web page is up and make sure it includes this phrase. So you can design cer- certain things around that or you can tell if when a page changes. But you can also do transaction monitoring. This can alert you when things like cart checkouts and forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. You will know from Pingdom the moment any of them fail in whatever way you want to be notified. They, cu- they, they, they have customizable notifications. You can customize how you're alerted, who is alerted, how bad it is, like how severe the outage has to be. It is great. I've personally been a Pingdom customer for, oh, geez, eight to ten years i i've used it since the beginning of overcast for sure since i used it in paper before that i even use it on market.org it's it's great and pingdom is a great monitoring service i can say that honestly it's fantastic so if you want to see you you want to monitor your stuff go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now for a 14 day free trial with no credit card required and when you sign up use code radar at checkout to get a huge 30 percent off your first invoice so Radar checkout to get 30% off your first invoice at Pingdom. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the question of the hour, half hour, (laughs) is I have now gotten to the point where I have all this restructuring in my main app. I have the huge data layer transition running on my watch app. But my watch app, which admittedly is not that big, it's, you know, maybe a few hundred lines of code, is an entirely Objective-C app, although I just rewrote the app, dele- the, the extension delegate in Swift as part of this move. Sure. <laughs> so it's a mostly Objective-C uh, app. The entire UI layer is Objective-C. And it's all based on this old uh, like transfer system with the phone that I'm abandoning. And I have this new data layer below it all. So I have a lot of work ahead of me 
to either adapt the UI code to the new data layer code or rewrite the entire UI code in Swift and possibly also in Swift UI. So what do you think I should do about the UI code in my watch app? Sure. Okay. Well, first thing, great job on all the progress thus far. That is <laughs> no, no small thing. Um, and especially I, I, I know from many experiences that feel that first feeling when it all kind of like seems to work and you're almost a little concerned that it seems to work. Like it's, a little, it's this eerie feeling of like, huh, nothing's broken. Everything's running. Seems fine. Yeah, it makes you suspicious of like, I had to have broken something. If it isn't something obvious, how am I ever going to find it? It's like, it's like I almost feel it's better when it's just obviously broken because then it's like, it's clear. There's not this, you know, this, this <laughs> lurking fear of a subtle bug out right. there just waiting to pounce on you. Yeah, it's like going to be some feature I never use that I broke somehow. And I'm never going to know it and the data technicians yeah. won't find it. And, <laughs> and, and well, the, and the thing is, the nice thing is you have, you have a large enough beta audience, I think, that it's unlikely that it's going to a big no big issue should likely survive the amount of beta testing that I think you're able to sort of sort of leverage on something like this, and especially with kind of the the breadth of that. So hopefully that'll be fine. But you'd be surprised. I mean, I'm sure things get through, but hope there's always hope. But in terms of the watch, I think the things that could, the, the things that come to mind is like the first question is what version of watchOS do you expect to require? going forward. Oh, I forgot to mention that. So I looked at my stats and I, I I said recently that I wanted to keep compatibility with 12 and 13 because it was just pragmatic to do so. Um, and I was looking at my stats and I decided as part of this big move, it made a lot of things easier not to go to 14 because that's too aggressive for me right now, but I went to 13 and watchOS 6. Okay. Because that made a lot of... Uh, watchOS 6 was even an easier um, decision. iOS 13, according to my stats... Um, I'm only losing from the 12 people. I'm losing like three and a half percent now. Like the adoption of 14 has been very high, and now that it's a new iPhone season, I expect that to go even higher. Um, so you know, and this this release of the app is probably at least a month or two out. Yeah. Um, just because it's it's so much work, I'm trying to do a lot at once. So it's probably probably about a month out if I if I had to guess. But um, so you know, I went I went with 13 because I was only losing like 3.5 percent of people by by ending 12 compatibility. And watchOS 6, I'm, I'm losing like less than 1% of people that were on watchOS 5 still. So the, the watchOS 6 requirement was actually a no-brainer. And that actually helps a lot with with um, with what I can do with the audio layer as well there. Uh, so, so that's why I, so I moved to that. Yeah. Because I think if you can require watchOS 6, it, it feels like a good time to adopt swift ui on the watch Ooh, i was hoping you'd say that i'm a little scared <laughs> sure because i have to rewrite a lot of my ui code anyway sure but i gotta i mean I, it's been a while since i used all of the the parts of the overcast watch ui but from what i remember it's like we're talking about like three or four screens maybe it's a very small app and like ui wise and it's not very good i'm, I'm willing to entertain changes sure. <laughs> Because uh, I feel like it's you're gonna have to if if you're gonna like need to essentially build hooks from your new common data layer into a UI framework like that that work is gonna have to have to happen no matter what because your existing UI and you know the the, the new data layer aren't compatible with each other anyway so it's like if you have to do that effort like doing it with Swift UI I think is gonna be 
a great place to like that work is not going to be for nothing because that work is going to ultimately allow you to, when you get to working on your widgets, they're going to have to do the exactly the same integration. Um, there may come up a point where you need to do Swift UI work with your main app and that, that work is not going to be wasted there. And so it feels like it's a good thing in terms of, and this is something that it's, it's relatively straightforward. It's just a bit kind of, you just have to have a different mindset with in Swift UI where you're just like taking your data layer and making it so that it's all sort of this combined uh, observable object stuff um, see, is, is the primary aspect of what you're going to have to do. Where it's, you know, Swift UI is very, you know, your data layer sort of just tells the UI something's changed and then the, they view the UI will come and pull the new data out of the data model and and so on. And so it's, it's you just have to kind of build that in. It's just a slightly different format than what you would typically do where, you know, the data layer is a bit more... Um, like I don't know. I guess it's like it's it's imperative rather than declarative programming, but whatever. That you're going to have to do that work no matter what. And I think having now built a tremendous, I built a lot of watch apps, and the, what you what is possible and what is easy on um, in Swift UI on WatchOS makes it so that like I don't ever want to touch a watch kit um, sort of watch app again because there's so many things that are just you run into this place where you want to do something, you have an idea, you have a vision for how you want to build it, and you with WatchKit you will hit this point where suddenly it's just it's, it's impossible. It isn't like, oh, it's difficult, or oh, it's like challenging to do. It's like, no, it's just, that's not possible. <laughs> that's not the way WatchKit works. And that gets really frustrating. And it could be like simple things, like say you wanted to reorder um, a playlist, on your watch, so you have like a you know a list of show a list, list of episodes, and you wanted to move them around. In Swift UI, super straightforward on the watch. In WatchKit, impossible. Like the, <laughs> the only way you can do it is like you'd have to like put arrows like up up arrow down arrow on each row or something, and you like tap the arrow, and then it like would swap with the one above it or something. Whereas in Swift UI, you just give add like. Add a, add a a modifier to a list, and then it's just like you get automatic free, like free drag and drop, and it's like things like that are just so much better. That I think at this point, spending any amount of time on WatchKit, unless it was essentially done, and it was like, oh, it'll be like half a day of work, and then the watch app's updated, and I can start using it. Like, great, go ahead and do it. But if it's going to be any amount of work. That I feel like it's that's the place to do it, and I think it's also the watch. And I think this is also from my experience where I built. Um, so I built with WatchSmith. I built the iOS app was in UIKit, but the watch app was in SwiftUI, and I learned SwiftUI essentially building that watch app. Uh, and then when I came to build WidgetSmith, WidgetSmith is entirely written in SwiftUI. So I built the. I essentially re-implemented the UIKit interface that I had built for watch, uh, watchsmith in swift UI for widget Smith. Um, and I did that because it just, it, once I, once I've kind of have flipped that switch in my brain, it become, it became so much more fluid and so much more productive for me to sort of just stay in the swift UI mindset. And so I think I can say that a watch is a great place to learn swift UI because the screens are so much smaller. The interactivity is so much simpler and it's like a very constrained problem and it also gives you just more capability. And so in general, that's the sort of the direction that I think would be worth, worth doing. And I think it's also like in the context of this broader kind of rewrite of what you're doing, like going that is clearly like there is no work getting done on WatchKit anymore. I'm sure 
Like that is a, a sort of a, if you run into any bugs, if you run into any issues, if weird things start happening, like that is not a place that you're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, expect that in watchOS, you know, 7.2.6, they're going to be fixing this weird esoteric <laughs> watch kit bug. Like that's not going to happen. It's Swift UI bug. Very, it's, there's lots of bugs being fixed there. It seems much more reliable. So it's like my instinct is that your best bet um, it's just sort of just it's like just just keep the keep this train rolling and just keep you know just it's like you you've torn up and rebuilt a bunch of stuff it's like just keep going um, and you know re- rebuild and just sort of make your watch app what it could actually really be with like a real UI that isn't WatchKit which is is not a real UI. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm not, I'm going to be the first person to be you know, dancing on the grave of WatchKit when I finally destroy it. But it, it, like, I, I, I did hesitate because I'm like, you know, the, the main problem with my watch app, you know, the UI is not great, but the main problem with the watch app is not the UI. And so pragmatically, I was thinking I should probably just fix the data layer and the trans, the transfer layer as much as possible. And then I can just easily adopt the UI to it. But when I look at like, you know, what that actually is, and I, and I think you're right that like, you know, my, my use case here is probably going to be a pretty straightforward Swift UI app. Um, I, I think it does make more sense, you know, because, because I have to do a lot of work anyway to, to adapt the UI in some form. If I'm going to do a lot of work, I might as well do a lot of work that has a bigger payoff, uh, than, than just adopting my old UI, which isn't that great, you know, to, yeah. and, the big, and the biggest payoff I think is, is per, it's like personal development wise, like, I think it is a you will be in a much better place because clearly Swift UI is the direction that Apple is heading. Um, it is clearly the platform that they're putting the most energy and effort behind internally for the cross platform like all of that all of their you know the directions they're heading seem to be Swift UI driven and so it's 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 going to be a much better place to get comfortable in a very you know in a relatively constrained problem before you kind of, and you don't end up in the same situation with Swift, right? Where it's like, there was definitely, Swift UI was not the, it was not the right time to use it, to adopt Swift UI last year. As someone who did adopt it last year, I can tell you that definitively. Um, it was <laughs> definitely too early. It did not work well. There was lots of weird debugging and Xcode issues. And I would say now though, it feels like it's sort of crossing over that point. And like, if you, if this was, it's like, if, if you didn't need to do a UI rewrite, I may not necessarily like it wouldn't be as required, but I think if you're having to do anything in there, it's like it's past that point where it's it's painful. Now it's just a new tool that you know sometimes has some weird edge cases, and there's a few things we you know I wish it did differently. But overall, it seems to work much more reliably, and the tooling for it is so much better. And um, even just getting ex- experience using the new Swift UI, like interactive development thing, where you can you know have a live updating example of your app. Uh, while you're making it, like getting used to that development, is, I found is very, very potent in terms of from a speed of uh, sort of prototyping and development perspective. So, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend that you you give it a try at least. And I think the reality too is give it a try. And it's like if it if if like after a day or two you're like this is this is a terrible idea, then that's fine. Like you can go back to WatchKit. It's gonna be waiting for you there. But I think it's worth giving it a try at this point, especially in the context of all the the other work you're doing. So one more question, and that is, um, should I, you know, SwiftUI, it's 1.0 was watchOS 6. Sure. Should I wait until I can require watchOS 7 before shipping this update? Like, like it, is the SwiftUI difference between 6 and 7 big? Because, like, one thing I really don't want to do is have to test a lot on watchOS 6 
and have to support like you know ancient swift ui 1.0 isms i know ancient from last year um and because right now i'm already at 75 percent watch os 7 so i think the biggest things that you would have to watch out for you would have to deal with anyway because the biggest things that are kind of watchOS 6 to watchOS 7 differences are the removal of force touch um, and the context menu system in watchOS. And so whatever you do, you're going to have to make sure you're not using that anywhere because in order for it to work on watchOS 7, you have to get rid of it. Um, and that's you're, you're, even if you stay on WatchKit or 6 or 7, it doesn't really matter. And then the other thing is the way that the complication system works um, is very different in 7, but the old system, I think, still can work, and I don't think your complications are going to be complicated enough (laughs) that it would actually matter. No, I literally don't do anything. I just have a launch complication. It's my app icon, that's it. Yeah, so so then I I don't think it would actually be that that difficult because the changes in SwiftUI itself... Um, most of them are sort of backwards compatible in a way that like they're, they were swift language changes rather than being OS changes. And so oh. there's some like some, some changes to like when you have to call self and when you have to like some of the language semantics, but I believe all of those kind of like work fine on the old version. Um, they just, the API didn't change. It's just some of the swift language stuff changed. So I think you'd be fine with requiring, you don't need to wait for seven. If you can, that's, that's awesome. But if you don't, I think you'd be fine with 6 and 7 working together. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. This actually helps a lot. <laughs> there you go. Now you've given me a lot of work for the next two weeks. But <laughs> Hey, you know, that's, that's what I'm here for. Keep you busy. Yep. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.